This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome back, Murder Chronicles Nation to our bonus content. Uh, my name's Brandon. I produce the show. I'm here as always with the great Carolyn Osorio. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, Brandon. I I'm just da- love it that you're calling me great every time. I love it. <laughs> I'm deja- I am deja vuing like crazy, and it's because I fucked up and re- and erased the first shot at this episode yesterday. So um, you guys are in for a treat because we're going to seem like we know what we're doing today. Because we've Actually, already we done can't it. Once. Make any promises? In fact, you're <laughs> going to miss out on a huge outtake of Millie Vanilli, which you really didn't need to know anything about. Oh, that hurts me. It hurts. It cuts me so deep that I erased that 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 gold. We uh, just so you know, it was two Gen Xers reminiscing about the glory that was Millie Vanilli in the late '80s. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about. Check it out. And if you do know what we're talking about, do yourself a favor and revisit some Millie Vanilli tunes. Yeah. And how Brandon like um, sold his soul to Millie Vanilli so he could be on a bus trying to check out, trying to game girls and he had no game. But it worked. But you know what? He talked all about it. It was so glory days. It's like glory days. Thankfully, I had Millie Vanilli. To like, I could just, I was listening to it as I was listening to you talk about. Oh, it takes me back. <laughs> it takes me back. There's this, um, I have some cousins uh, in New England that are, um, their musical tastes th- throughout my life have been very, very specific. Right? Like when I was a kid, it was Elvis and nothing but Elvis. Like that's it. Okay. And then. These are kids that are your peers? Yeah, my peers and their mom. Their mom was the driver of the musical taste in the family. Okay, so what the mom loved, the kids like ate up, right? So it was Elvis for a really, really long time. Then it was Jimmy Buffett through like my teen years to like early 30s, right? It was all Jimmy Buffett. It was all Parrothead stuff all the time. They'd go to Florida. They'd eat at Margaritaville restaurant and and like forget about it. That was it. And then it transitioned into Kenny Chesney. I don't know how into Kenny Chesney. And so I would get bombarded with these, got to listen to this song. You got to hear this. You got to, and then the hotel where I was working at in Hollywood for a long time, Kenny Chesney would come in a lot and he was a super nice guy. And he'd like sit at the piano in the restaurant and just like play songs. It was like super cool. And he had a song. He has a song called I go back, which is basically a song about songs. All right. Mm -hmm. And so when we were talking about Millie Vanilli, Mm -hmm. I just go back to that. I'm on that school bus going to the indoor track meets, wondering which girl, you know, I'd be confident it's enough to go up and you? talk to. <laughs> right? I mean, no, that I girl... know. I mean, I mean, that is the quintessential time machine because yeah. you go back there, like even songs like we talked about in the past, like Under the Bridge. And yep. that song so reminds me of this boyfriend that I was so in love with, the guy that I'd been dating before my husband who fucking torched my heart. Yep. And- and every time that that period of my life reminds me of that song and it's so sad, but it's like, it gives you that sad, like you remember what it felt like to be 
20 years old, totally in love, completely destroyed. Yeah. And like, I am there. I just, and it's just great. So yeah, yeah music is so hugely. You know, and vital. music, the connection between music and women for me, it, it's, it, it goes back like before Millie Vanilli, uh, or maybe been after, no, it was the summer after Millie Vanilli. So whatever it was 89. So I'm 16 and I was a professional BMX bike rider. Okay. So I was on tour every summer. And we were at this one spot in Pennsylvania called Woodward. And back in the day. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Hold on. Wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. Wait a second. Hold, 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 hold. You were a professional yeah. BMX bikes rider? Bike yeah, rider? Like, free, like, like freestyle, like tricks, like X Games kind of stuff. But it, it was before the X Games. Okay. So that was my life from when I was like 13 till I was like 19. That's all that I did. Right. And so. I, jo- I I was I I made this team and so we're on tour in the summer. So I'm gone for like two months every summer. It's just me and, and like three other maniacs. I was the youngest one. And one place that we'd stop every summer, there's this place in in the woods of Pennsylvania called Woodward, kind of near State College, where Penn State is. And for a long time, it was only like the premier gymnastics camp, like in the United States. Like you go from Woodward and then you join the Olympic team kind of thing. Right. But then they also. Everybody's going to get it. You're going to hook up with the gymnast. Okay. Okay. So let's, so for whatever reason, they branched out into, into action sports in the mid to late eighties. And so it became the premier destination for BMX riders. They had, they had BMX tracks there. They had huge ramps and skate parks and half pipes. And so every touring team that was out there would stop in for like a week and be guest instructors. Okay. So I'm there as this guest instructor and I'm 16 and I'm just like, I'm a hormone monster at 16. And you're surrounded by all of these teenage gymnasts who are just these goddesses, just like running around. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I meet this girl and everybody's around and, and I am just gaga, like just trying to keep my shit together, talking to this girl. She was like a year or two older than me. Right. Oh my and, God. and we're like at the cantina and we're kind of like hanging around and I'm doing all my bullshit, like trying to be cool. Right. And she like, she leaves her Walkman on the table, a Walkman, a cassette like, Walkman. Like a yellow one. A yellow like a, one. Yeah, exactly. A yellow, yeah. like waterproof one. Short and one, she, and one. she, exactly. And she like runs inside to like get a granola bar or something. And so the only game I could think of was I open it up real quick to see what she was listening to. So I could pretend I liked them also. And it was the cure, right? She was listening to the cure disintegration. All right. And so uh, she gets back and I play it. Cool. I'm like, what are you listening to? She goes, the cure. I'm like, Oh, oh this my was- God. <laughs> she goes, I go disintegration. She goes, Oh my God. Yes. And that started the whole thing. Started the whole thing. Hey, and- I got one question. Did you make her a mixtape? <laughs> I made her mixtapes. We were <laughs> friends for a long time. I took her to my senior prom when she was a freshman at Ohio State. We stayed friends. Yeah. And uh, and she's she's in LA now and we're like Facebook buddies and stuff. And we've stayed friends for like 30 years. But all again, that music, music connection was was that was it. And so when I hear anything off disintegration, I'm instantly brought back to that mm-hmm. summer. And being head over heels for this this gymnast from Ohio, you know, and uh, yeah, and I'm there like instantly. Like there's well, a million ironic, Springsteen songs that do that too. But it's ironic that she moved to LA too. She's from Ohio and you guys were back East at the time, right? Yeah, she became an actor. Yeah, she became an actor and uh, she she wanted to go to UCLA because of the gymnastics program there. Um, and I think she had an injury and uh, and then, you know, everyone was telling her, oh my gosh, you're beautiful and you should be. And she was really smart and from a great family. And um, 
and and became an actor and had had moderate levels of success. And I think she's a what do you call someone who makes wine? A, a vintner? A vintner? A vint- yeah, she makes wine. She makes wine. Yeah, she makes wine now. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So anyway, all all about music, all about music. So I think that what that wasn't as fun as Millie Vanilli, but it was. Uh, I, I enjoyed that that trip down memory lane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go listen yeah. to Millie Vanilli. So, um, girl, you know it's true. <laughs> that and blame it on the rain. Blame it on the rain. You see how the melody is very similar, girl. You know yeah. it's the lip syncing too. Yeah. Oh yeah, they had to make well, it. They easy had that one. They had that one move. Yeah, that was great. It was enough. That move was enough. I'll tell you it what. Was. It Do was. Do you know where they were from? The Caribbean? No, they're from Germany. They were German. How weird is that? You well, wouldn't that's tell. Right. I knew yeah. they were from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. that's German right. Dudes. But yeah, were yeah. they really from Germany? No, I think their their heritage. No, I think their heritage was Caribbean, but they 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 you know they were German, not like born in Germany. Mm-hmm. of uh of you know caribbean uh parents i think um but so all right so let's get back to this episode that we talked about yesterday we should know this episode backwards and forwards now um mm-hmm. living in los angeles uh hear about the night stalker right okay, like it yeah, yeah 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 you 100 listen about the uh hear about the night stalker but what what i appreciated uh a bit more about this episode was getting to know uh, the detective a little bit more and getting to know his story. And, uh, and like I told you of all of the sad stuff that you've um, and tragic stuff that you've, that you've written about and spoken about in the podcast, this was the first time that I actually cried because I didn't have my emotional barriers up to keep me separated from the murder victims. Okay. I, I was gearing up for that for later in the episode. And then, so it got me. Right. Like it surprised me when he saw the man that put him on the straight and narrow and showed him the badge. No, no, I'm not a perp. I'm a good guy. Here I did it. Ah, oh, that was great. Well done. We'll be back after a quick break. I mean, it's such a great story. And it's so, I think, pertinent to this case about somebody having mentors, being fortunate enough to have a mentor in your life. Like I know for me personally, I didn't have a lot of mentors growing up. We moved around a lot and um, and I could have really used one, but I was such an avid reader and I found my mentors in books. You know, I'd read biographies. I mean, it's weird. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt, FDR, like people who had to overcome lots of struggles and, and many, many, many more. Those are just two. But and and I, I and I feel like there, you know, that story of struggle and then resiliency and overcoming is one that never gets old. And I think that it's unfortunate that, um, you know, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, it sounds like he didn't have any of that. And that's not to condone what he did. But as, you know, Detective Gil Carrillo said, you know, he understands it. And I think that that's true. Right. Even if not condoning, he he understands it. And, And to your point, not only did Ramirez not have that, he had the antithesis of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The antithesis. If his cousin would have been who was 11 years older and would have been a force for good instead of evil who knows what could have happened he might have still you know did the same thing but boy it's interesting you bring up the it's interesting you bring up the cousin there's a i'm a big sports guy right and there's this uh this i don't even know what anecdote i guess you would call it um where venus williams 
right? Venus Williams has like three Wimbledons and two U.S. Opens, and she's the second best tennis player in her family, right? Because her sister happens to be Serena, all right? So, um, and, and not making any comparison at all other than the extremes within one family, all right? Richard Ramirez is the fucking night stalker, and he's the second most psychopathic murdering fucker in his family after his cousin, all right? Right. right. right? <laughs> because of what his cousin did in Vietnam. Like, I, that should have, that could be a story right there in and of itself. You know, and like I said yesterday, if that was corroborated on like a governmental level, like that guy would be in Leavenworth forever, like and and being fucking executed or at the Hague for fucking war crimes, you know? Because well, of the and shit I think that he I did. think that because it's coming through Richard Ramirez saying this is what he showed me. I mean, right. you know, Mike isn't telling anybody, and that he was never, you know, put on trial for any of those things. He was never yeah. caught for any of those things. Right, exactly. So, exactly. You know? So who knows? Who knows what other kind of shit went on? You know, like fog of war, all of that stuff, like terrible, terrible things happen. Um, it's just, it's kind of shocking to when it becomes into such stark relief like that, when you see how it has affected someone who had such an effect on the American psyche at a, at a, at a very critical time in our country's history with, you know, the, as, as an earlier guest of yours called it the golden age of serial killers, right? Ramirez was right smack in the middle of that, um, mm -hmm. that one of his influences was a string of crimes that went unpunished okay mm -hmm. um and you know the polaroid pictures of the uh, oh my gosh and how he got off on it and all that stuff it, it, it's just like what i've learned by working with you is that um the psyche of of a serial killer has been so well documented that um to, where it almost becomes you know, it's, I, I don't even really know how to, how to explain what I'm trying to say. Like things become cliche because they're true. Okay. And so uh, Ramirez checks off all of these, these serial killer kind of cliches, like no direction, no, you know, no father figure that, that helped, you know, uh, predilection to, you know, uh, violence and sex, a connection there, you know, like uh, so it's just man well and we and we talked about it we talked about it yesterday about how in um episode three and four we covered the jack spillman the werewolf butcher and yeah. how you know thank god that guy was caught because yeah. he's definitely oh. a, you know with these sexualized burglaries and you know he's cut from the same cloth as ramirez, as ramirez absolutely and he had a similar childhood in terms of like you know, not a stable father figure. In fact, abusive stepfathers. I mean, just the whole thing. It, it's very parallel. Their stories run parallel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in that case, if you haven't listened to it, it's episode three and four. And we did, did a deep dive on that. You know, people don't really know the name Jack Spillman III, although he would have loved for them to. Man. And so, uh, and similar Again, like Ramirez got away with a lot of stuff, like hearing hearing the, the, the detective talk about it, like he didn't really have a rap sheet, you know, and the mm -hmm. stuff that he did, he got away with that crazy story about him at the hotel, like the balls on this kid, you know, yeah. to gosh, at 15, 16 years old to use a master key to sneak into a woman's hotel room while she's in the bathroom and then attack her and then get the shit kicked out of him by the husband. I mean 
I mean, you're at the same age where you're describing a like run in with this girl and you peek into her Walkman and you feel like you're violating something. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then you look at what this guy is doing and how he's driven to do it. And it's kind of like, wow, this is a whole different universe that we're living in and that we've been dropped into. And I think I have to give massive credit to uh, Philip Carlo. He was um, a journalist and biographer. He wrote the night stalker. And um, he like did deep research for like three years and talked with, you know, interviewed Ramirez yeah. extensively and also his extended family. And it's because of his work that we know because Richard Ramirez didn't really talk to, you know, he didn't give a lot of interviews. I think he gave right. like one um, other than the, you know, the hours and hours and hours that this Philip Carlo um, spent with him. And so, um, yeah, and it's really dark, really dark stuff for sure. Hold on one second, Carolyn, hold on. One second. All right, I'm back. Um, so getting back to to Ramirez and uh, kind of his <laughs> adventures or misadventures, as it were, as a youth, because what I, I like the statement that you kind of hung a lantern on early in the podcast that he was a serial killer that was made, not born. Okay, yeah. and and juxtaposing what you just what, what you just did with what he did at 15 or 16. And what I did at 15 or 16, right? And the difference is there. Um, and that only could be explained with a way with what experiences he had in the years leading up to that, that I didn't have. Okay. Like I didn't have a cousin like that, that introduced me to all of those awful things and exploits in Vietnam and, and nor, or witness a freaking murder, right? When he shot his wife in the face. And Ramirez was just there and just damaged by all of that stuff to the mm -hmm. point where that was the the creation of a of a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see the ramping up and then getting away with it and just that feeling of unstoppable, being unstoppable. And then also the religious piece where his family was very, very religious, very Catholic. And yeah. like him fighting up against that, struggling up against that with what his heart's desire had morphed into and, and, you know, basically embracing Satanism as a way, and this is my take on it to, you know, okay, this is, this is going to give me the green light to go ahead and do this because there's no guilt and there's no punishment. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's like a moral kind of get out of jail free card that he just keeps renewing because it's Satan and it's Satanism and I have no fear and there's no, no judgment coming and I, I, I have no <clears throat> hopes of heaven anymore. And that's not a motivating factor, which in Catholicism, that's really what it is. Um, and so and if not he only that. And, and like he will be rewarded. He will be the right. leader of the army of Satan when he dies. So it's like yeah. it's, it, it's a, it flip flops the the religious dynamic of like exactly as much evil as you possibly can and you will reap the rewards you know and sit at satan's right hand in the in the in the fires of hell i i mentioned yesterday um in one of my podcasts uh the devil within which explores that explores murderers that were uh 
influenced or inspired by uh, satanic or devil worship. And what I learned um, while researching that, uh, to, uh, real, honestly, to my surprise, because I'm, I'm not really a fan of any kind of religion, um, is that Satanism has kind of gotten a bit of a bad rap in terms of, you know, not every, if you're a Satanism, that doesn't equal that you're a murderer. It doesn't mean that you're, you have no moral system or no value system or, or that you're not a nihilist by any means, you know, it's, and, and like I mentioned yesterday, my big takeaway is I, I don't know, maybe, and I hope I don't upset anyone from the church of Satan is that they kind of exist as, as an organization, uh, just trolling the monotheistic behemoths that, you know, are uh, most of the globe, you know, falls under today. You know, they're just, because a lot of their tenants, they, I think they have like the 12 tenets of Satanism actually make wonderful sense when you read them. If you like, you really read them, you know, you're yeah. like, oh yeah, okay. This is just a really good way to live. And, and it seems like they love doing things like, you know, if if uh, a, a southern state is going to put up a monument to the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse, they petition the Supreme Court for a statue of Baphomet to be there as well, like right well, next. I to mean, it's it's it comes down to human beings, and we can basically use anything to justify the things that we do, the horrible things that we do, and this is just another example of that. You yeah. know, and and that's exactly what he did. So I think in my opinion, you know, he was looking for a way to do what he wanted to do. And this was that way. More Murder Chronicles after the break. Looking for a way, meaning looking for an excuse, a way to excuse his actions? Like yeah, I think he was really driven to do it. But I do think that, you know, religion, especially, you know, he's going up against, like, this is wrong. He knew that it was wrong. You know, he, I, I mean, I think that he embraced Satan to reject his, what he'd been taught. Yeah. And this was the way for him to do it. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but bottom line, I just feel like he wanted to rape, kill, murder, torture people to get it off. And he wanted to burglarize and steal their money to, um, you know, basically feed his cocaine addiction. And this was a way to do all of those things. I mean, wow. I'd mentioned yesterday about like, there was a um, interview that I'd heard of with him and he was describing, like he, he misses burglaries. He still dreams about him in oh prison before he died. And so that's gotta be a power thing, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not, you, you can't love free Absolutely. shit that much, right? It's not just about getting free stuff. It's, it's, no. it's the power. No. No, it's the, this is where I got, I still don't get it, but I understand it based on this, the research that I did in the Jack Spillman case, because I'd listened to hours of his interviews, right. you know, with, with the great profiler, uh, Bob Kepler, Kepler, and he basically was able to key into it where it's like somehow he had sexualized these burglaries where when he's breaking into someone's house, he's feeling so powerful when they're vulnerable right. and sleeping. And he can decide if they live or they die. He can decide, mm -hmm. you know, if he just stays there or he leaves, you know? And so that power is sexualized in some way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that there's a, a massive psych evaluation on this guy that, that dives into all of that. That would be really, yeah. really weird to read that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> super, super weird to read that. 
Um, but I, I really enjoyed um, the the cinematic nature that you opened the show with, with, you know, setting that scene and you really kind of the, the, the flourishing kind of language that you were using um, the tension that was built there. Uh, that was, that was powerful and, 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 and scary, you know, and the woman's tied up and she finds the shotgun and clay, ah, right. And, and, and that fl- he flies into a rage. It was just, man. Well, sometimes really I feel like, especially in doing the shadow girls on the green river killer, um, you know, 49 murders plus, mm. and that was one of the challenges is like making those victims real and make, you know, breathing yeah. life into them. Yeah. When, especially when there's so many and you don't want to make it all about the killer because really it's about the victims and it that's it should be, it should be. and when we were doing, when we were doing that together you kept bringing me back like carolyn remember the victims and i was so grateful that you were doing that because yeah. it's so yeah. like you want to go to the killer because it's like oh my gosh he did this he did this he did this and so in that opening i felt like richard ramirez killed so many people that they get lost in his heinous deeds. And so that to me, I thought, you know, this would be a way to really show people what this one couple went through. And there's so many others that went through that. How many many victims for Ramirez? Um, It's, I think for sure it's 14, but they think it, it could be more. I think it's either 14 to 19. Because there were some that he was, um, like for example, the little nine-year-old girl, like her yeah. case was solved af- well after in 2009 right. and it matched through DNA, but it never went to trial. They closed the case. I mean, his DNA was there Yeah, uh, and they believe that he did it based on his. Yeah. That's the June of 84, which is, which is well before this cluster of. Right. Your, it's well this, before. Like, like the spring that, of 85. Yeah. Because that gets to the whole piece of like different jurisdictions not talking to other you know but i mean he was like the thing about him and we'll get into this more in um part two is that he didn't fit the mold i left the the teaser cut with uh detective carrillo basically saying like i saw it i had the eyes to see it that this was one person and all these other profilers were like oh no you didn't this is not one person this yeah. is many people because of the range of victims. Right. You have children, you have men, you have women. I mean, it. so so he really wasn't in that profile of what we imagine serial killers, you know, they, they have a type that, you know, like Ted Bundy had the, you know, the long brown hair with the part in the middle and uh, sorority girl or whatever. Yeah, and they normally stay within their ethnic group and, every, you know, is what I've read about serial killers and stuff. And so yeah. for him to have the range that he had and, and Detective Carrillo, he he was he was proud of that. He's like, no one had done it before. And he doesn't think anyone's done it since, like had that the conviction that he had uh, of 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 being right. And about, you know, Ramirez being the guy and it not being, you know, it being one person, you know. And so um, I mean, I, if I was him, I would hang my hat on that, too. I yeah, mean, sure. Was- especially in the mid 80s and this is before um you know serial killer really is even in the common vernacular like it is today yeah so for him to make that connection um i think is just really outstanding i agree i totally agree so so this is a two-parter um and so where do we go in part two give us a little preview 
So part two, we're going to get into the the basically the killing spree that lasted um like from what, four or five months. Yeah, until the summertime. Yeah. And uh, and then the trial, you know, his capture and the trial and just kind of what happened after. So rate him, if you will, among American serial killers. Where would you put Ramirez? Among the biggies, like if, mean, there's, if, if there's a Mount, and I hate doing this, but again, I'm a sports guy, like in sports, it's like, you know, who's the Mount Rushmore of the New York Yankees? Like who are the top four, right? Like who are the Mount Rushmore of like quarterbacks? So who are the Mount I mean, Rushmore of US I mean, serial based, killers? Based on the base, I know the question that you're asking and, yeah. and I get it completely, but I mean, I feel like he's, I don't want to say he's in a class of his, of his own, but I think that, um, given his you know so many times when we look at serial killers or just killers it's like why why did they do that and for me the big takeaway is that you look at his childhood and again mm. it doesn't condone it but it's like what this kid went through and, and and it's like it's just beyond the pale you know yeah. and yeah. is it a surprise that society kind of it's just it's tragic you know and these people i i just they to to be murdered in that way in the yeah. middle of the night, the night stalker yeah, with yeah, his yeah. teeth and like what what a nightmare! Oh my gosh, to wake up to that. All right, what um, if I said what if I said Ridgeway, Ramirez, Bundy, and Gacy as the Mount Rushmore of U.S. serial killers? You know, for me, like Gacy, for whatever reason, I can't watch that guy. I can't. Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Had, I, I have a hard time with Dahmer too. Like yeah. I just, I just, um, I mean, Dahmer is just like there. So many chances to catch him, and they yeah. didn't. And the, that yeah. poor little boy running out of his unit and yeah. and bring him back. I mean, it's just it. It's. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy, but you've, you've kind of ignited a, a very macabre fascination in me with, with working on this, on this show. Um, and like, okay, we to blame it on me. Okay. Oh, I to, oh 100% blame do we it have, do we have a trauma bond together. Where I 100% blame after? it on you. Here's the thing. Listen to this. And this is a true story. This is last night. Okay, wait, La wait, wait, I got to just interject here very quickly. Yes. Folks, Listen to The Devil Within One and The Devil Within Season Two. And I can tell you this right now The Devil Within was before Brandon and I even met. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was what made me want to work with Brandon because the writing on it was superb. It was so amazing. So wow. he actually, his work actually drew me to him. So he's really full circle, baby. You're the you're the starter of this. <laughs> the Devil Within available on Amazon Music, Wondery, or wherever you get your podcast. So listen, I, last night after you know editing the, you know the show and then realizing that I fucked up and and deleted the, this original recording, um, I fell asleep on the couch. I wake up, it's like three in the morning. Okay, and I'm like, oh, my back hurts because I'm a thousand years old and I'm trying to like figure out where the hell I am. And and I got. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I've got your voice in my head that Ramirez, you would come through like an open window or an, un an unlocked window or an unlocked door. And when we bought the house that I live in, 
one of the windows in my daughter's room, the previous oh, owner yeah. said, said the window latch is broken, but it's under warranty. So you just got to just call. We never got to it, but and I'm like, all right, well, my daughter's in her room, so I'll get it. So I'll get it fixed. And so we got it fixed, but it doesn't always work. The latch is, it's a little like temperamental. And I was so like, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm like, well, what if they like, you know where you go in the middle of the night when you're alone? I'm like, what if there's a new guy that's out there killing motherfuckers coming in through open windows and he's already like 20 bodies deep and we just don't know about it yet. Right. So you know what I wound up doing again, three, three 30 in the morning, I'm out in the woodshed trying to find like a stick <laughs> or a board to jam the window shut. So it couldn't be opened. And I found something, it was crazy, but I couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep thinking that there's the possibility that someone could open the window to my kid's room. Yeah. Your fault. Well, I'm really, I feel conflicted about both of those stories, but um, as a parent, I'm so sorry that I put you through that because believe me, I, I get it. But yeah. part of me also, um, enjoys it like hell that you were like so tortured. <laughs> I was, I was, but, uh, but then I wake up this morning and the latch was working fine. It was just like weird, like half asleep and scared and, and having the, you know, not being able to really shut off from work at the end of the day. So um, it was cool. No, I mean, it was I an mean, interesting psychological I mean, examination. When I, when I do these cases like this, I mean, some of them just impact you more than others. They all impact, but, but yeah, I mean, I'd lost some sleep over this, over this case too, because it's so terrible and frightening and it, and it, and it gets us where we live with our, you know, our safety, our comfort. Yeah. And in our safe space where we think we're going to bed and we're going to wake up the next morning. Yeah. And, you know, these victims didn't. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, again, I apologize for having to uh, to do this all over again, but uh, I appreciate the time spent with you. So uh, thank you. And for thank you for forgiving me. And I, yes. apologize, I apologize to our listeners for the delay in the uh, the publishing of this episode. And I look forward to, to part two of this. Okay, so, sounds good. Great. What we like to well. remind everybody is uh, to please consider supporting the companies that support our show. The products that and the, the commercials that you hear uh, are personally endorsed uh, by Carolyn. That's not, that's not a lot of bullshit. It's stuff that she actually uses and that they're kind enough to send her samples of um, so she can give an accurate representation of, of the product. So uh, please consider, like I said, supporting the companies that support our show. Um, so Carolyn, always great to see you. Uh, thank you again for your great work. And uh, we hope forward, we look forward to uh, checking in with everybody again next week. Thanks, Carolyn. Yeah, and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and for checking out some of these products because it really does allow us to do the work that we love to do. So thank you. And, and they're great products, so. Agreed. All right, everybody. Murder Chronicles Nation. Thanks for checking in and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.